Let's take this outside with Marianne Iveson, the podcast where she speaks to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about why they connect with nature. Lee McAdam is a Calgary-based travel blogger and founder of the popular outdoors blog, hikebiketravel.com. In addition, Lee is an award-winning photographer, author of Discover Canada, 100 Inspiring Outdoor Adventures, and the co-author of 200 Nature Hotspots in Alberta. Please welcome my new friend, Lee McAdam. Lee McAdam, welcome to Let's Take This Outside. Hi, nice to be on the show. And nice to meet you. Um, I was really struggling as to, like, I, I rarely have a hard time prepping podcasts, but I was struggling as to what to ask you because your experience and adventures are so vast. I was like, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> that, that's because I'm an old fart, right? <laughs> Seriously, that's, you know, I have lots, I have decades of experience. I'm not 30 years old anymore. So I have had a long time to travel and that makes a big difference. And I've also been in the space for well over a decade, 12 years, 13 years. So that makes a big difference too. And I don't say no very often to travel. So a, a bit of a problem sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I saw this morning on Twitter, because we're talking in May right now. This is probably coming out in July. I saw this morning you posted that you rode the, is it the Highwood Pass in, pass in Kananaskis? So I, I haven't done it this, this year, but I have done it. And it, it is an amazing ride. And there's no snow on it right now. So you did that for your birthday and what they do, it's this, it's like the highest elevated paved road in Canada. Is that right? It is. So, you know, there would be logging roads that are higher than that one. But as far as a public paved road, it is the highest one. And you can get to it two ways and it is closed until June 15th. So it is like primo, primo biking. And you can, I mean, it's a full day bike ride if you went more than a full day for some, if you went from one end to the other, but most people just go from one side of the pass to the, to the pass and then back down again. And then, you know, the downhill is just so invigorating. I mean, it's worth doing it just for that. You just have to watch out for like the bighorn sheep and perhaps a grizzly bear. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be the worst scenario is just hitting a grizzly bear at like 70 kilometers an hour. But that is actually big time grizzly country in that part of the world. And one year in June, when I was heading up, not to Highwood Pass, but to a hike somewhere in the general vicinity, I saw seven grizzlies. Seven. Okay. Um, Why well, I wasn't even assuming we go down this, this path, but uh, you've probably seen all, I think you, I think I saw on your, on your website at hikebiketravel.com that you try to sacrifice your husband to a grizzly. Was that true? <laughs> you read that section. I did you? <laughs> uh, that how many times you've tried to accidentally kill your husband in nature? Is that, is that the title? Or? Yes. He, if he, if he was sitting beside me, he would be saying that's exactly what I was trying to do. So once I jumped over a rattlesnake and I, you know, it was one of those things. It was just instinctual. It's like a holy, oh my God, that's a rattlesnake. And I jumped and screamed at the same time, but I didn't tell him what it was I was jumping over. <laughs> so there's that. There's a grizzly bear. <laughs> yeah, there was a grizzly bear. There were some sharks. You know, we've had a few things. <laughs> I heard orcas are actually more dangerous than sharks. So just... Well, these days with the number of boats they seem to be taken out, yeah, you got to right? watch out for those guys. Yeah. Okay, let's talk. Well, let's talk about grizzlies while we're at this. What is what is your like full safe proof plan for grizzlies? I'm assuming bear, you're always carrying bear spray, especially in the rock Canadian Rockies over here, like in Ontario and Quebec. Like 
there's black, there's only black bears and noise is usually pretty good. But when you're in the Canadian Rockies, like bear spray is absolutely, and you have to know how to use bear spray too, right? Well, you really do. And that's actually a big problem. And I um, admit to setting mine off accidentally um, on occasion. And a few years ago, we'd gone hiking up like an early season hike and I'm in the tent and I'm you know, relaxing. We've got a couple of dogs in the tent. Suddenly I can't breathe. I can literally not breathe. And I'm opening up the zippers as fast as I can. And my husband must have just thrown in the bear spray and it hit the nozzle. And so suddenly the tent is filling with bear spray. And so I really recommend to people that they carry it in a bear spray holster. That's still like right in front of you, but super easy to access. And, you know, in theory, your bear spray is not supposed to be more than two or three years old. So I do write the date that I purchase it on the bottom of my can, just so I remember. And, you know, I don't know if it's a gimmick, but I do think that the aerosol part goes, not the actual um, pepper part of the spray, but the aerosol doesn't, it, it dies off over time. So that's not what you want to be caught with, right? Old bear spray, <laughs> the one time you need it. <laughs> Let's kind of start from, we kind of dove in other things, but let's kind of start from the beginning. You run one of the biggest travel and outdoor blogs in Canada. You've been doing this a long time. Um, Where did hikebiketravel.com begin and what was your first blog? You know, I, I, we have a company and we sell equipment for sampling groundwater and it's boring as all get out. (laughs) You know, and I did it for years because it helped pay the bills. But then we had a company in the U.S. and we sold that company and I was helping to run that. And it's like, okay, now what do I do with my life? Basically, is that was the, hmm, what's next steps? And I was with my mother in Tofino and I just had one of these epiphanies. It was like, hmm, I'm just going to write a guidebook. That was my first thought. It wasn't a blog, but it was a guidebook, even though I have no writing skills or photography skills. <laughs> you can, you can. Did you like the outdoors at this time? Did you like? traveling were you already into that very much so so I did like I did like all of that um and then I just I think that was 2009 and I think what happened is I saw that blogging was starting to happen and it's like well I'll just jump in with two feet and see what happens and where it takes me if I don't like it I'll jump out and find something else so I have probably deleted my very first no actually you know what my first blogs were so pathetic they were so pathetic I didn't really understand what blogging was. And I think I just put like a URL for maybe it was cost of living in various places that you're going to travel. It was like, here's a URL if you want to find out about cost of living when you travel here. And that was it. Boom. That was like five words. <laughs> so completely pathetic. So my first good blog would have been the Skellig Islands in Ireland, <clears throat> which is still one of my all-time favorite places I've been to. So yeah, that's where it all started. And I have probably deleted 300 blogs, um, at least. There's lots of awful stuff out there. And you know what? Blogging has just changed so dramatically over that time span. And with Google always changing algorithms, you're changing the way you write blogs as time goes on. Right. There must, we kind of talked about that a little bit before I hit record and SEO and making sure you have the right keywords. And I just, I, I'm kind of like, you know, podcasting is a little bit different, but you know, you have to have the right keywords in your show descriptions and that's all, that all matters. Right. So I understand that to a certain extent, but there must be, you know, you said you've deleted 300 blogs and I w- I'm going to ask why, but there must be a sense of responsibility when you're writing these blogs, right? Like how does it feel to be a resource and knowing that you're one of the biggest travel and outdoor blogs in Canada? Like you must feel a higher, like, 
sense of responsibility? You know, I, I think if I thought about it in great depth, maybe I wouldn't write at all because it is a, a huge sense of responsibility and making sure people are safe out there. Like I, I can't take responsibility for somebody's actions, but I do want to warn them about being prepared when they go outside. And so I think what I have been doing the last six months even is going back to my most popular blogs and making sure that in those blogs, it's like, do not forget those 10 hiking essentials. You need them. And if you don't know what they are, you should read this blog. I don't say it quite like that, but it is a huge responsibility. And I think many people take it lightly, but you know, if, if trails change, which they do on occasion, I try and stay up to date on what those are. And with a thousand plus blogs on my website, that is a massive job in itself. And so that's partly why I've been going through all my old blogs, especially the higher ranking ones, and making sure that they're up to date. It's incredibly important. But I'm also doing, I'm sort of taking a page out of the book of Alberta Parks and Parks Canada. And they're saying, you have to take personal responsibility too. And so I totally believe that. I don't think you can put it on somebody else. I think you need to go prepared. And if you don't know how to do that, then you need to take the steps to go prepared and learn what those steps are. Has anyone ever reached out to you and said, my experience was nothing like what your blog said, that there was mosquitoes? <laughs> like, has anyone ever done that before? Like put any onus on you? No, they actually, well, the only thing I've actually had a pause, I've had many positive comments, more, I've not had negative comments. And one of them wrote um, an article for Explore magazine, saying that she was actually interviewing a whole bunch of people uh, about how we rate trails as far as degree of difficulty. And she said, when she comes to my blogs, she knows that she can trust if I say it's a moderate trail, it's moderate to her too. But it's still, even though, like, if it's a diff if it's a really difficult trail, that's super easy to explain to somebody. Do not go near that if you hate scree and you hate exposure and super easy. But to go between that easy and moderate, people, you know, that's a big jump for some people. So, and she's a very, um, she's a sophisticated long-term hiker who knows what she's doing out in the wilderness. But she still felt that I was bang on with how I was rating my trails. So, and I'm... I'm just following my gut, basically, on what I feel. And I do put a caveat. You know, if you're a beginner hiker, this will be a moderate. This will not be, or this, yeah, it, it will be a moderate one, something that I might think is easy because of, of you know, the length or the elevation gain. So, so far, touch wood. I'm looking for wood. <laughs> you're so right that trails are so, so subjective because, a difficult trail in, say, in my neighborhood in Gatineau Park is very, you know, is probably a moderate trail or easy, easy-ish trail in Kananaskis, right? It's all subjective. It's all where you're from. It's all about your fitness. It's all about your experience. So I, I could see why that would be, you'd be hesitant. Even, you know, what I've noticed is a lot of trail, like a lot of guides or even like on all trails or anywhere have stopped listing length of time. Of, like some people may say, I've read a blog recently that said, this took me five hours of moving time. But, but people, I've, I've noticed people have stopped putting time it took because again, th that can range so vastly, right? You know, that's an interesting point you bring up because if you go to Europe and you hike the trails in Europe, like the Tour de Mont Blanc would be an excellent example. They don't have distance. They have time only on those 
So, you know, if, if you're going from one hut to another, there is no no distance whatsoever. You can get that out of your guidebook or your map, but you're not going to get it on that sign. And so, you know, it's it all comes from, you know, where we where we are and what our experience is. And I found on the Tour de Mont Blanc, I was bang on with their times. It was like, oh, 55 minutes. And they'd go to like 55 minutes, 51 minutes. And it was like, yeah, I, I'm on. So I usually give a pretty big range. And, you know, I think people who have followed my blog for a while know that I am active and out there and doing stuff. And I don't say, you know, I hike at four kilometers or an hour or three kilometers an hour, because it, it depends on the day and the pace and the elevation. And Oh my gosh, it is like it is a hard thing to do. That's why you have to give a range. I want to go back to blogging for a second. What's it like to have the market so saturated now compared to when you began? And what what are some of the pillars when it comes to creating content in 2023? Like when you're creating a blog now, what are some pillars, like you said already, making sure that you have the 10 essentials, um, but also safety and your own, you know, being responsible for yourself? Like what are your pillars to creating great content that are honorable to you and what you do let me just say it's a big frustration now just how much it's changed and how you know i guess i was lucky that i didn't have so much competition and now it seems like everybody's a blogger like almost literally everybody's a blogger um which is fine up to a point but i don't think some of them have very much experience so what's the right answer on that one is there that's a very that's a tough question well, yeah, I maybe focus on what you, when you are writing, when you are doing it, you're like, this is what means a lot to me, whether it's conservation or whether, like, what, what are you making sure you're putting in every single blog? Not every blog, but I should, maybe 75%, leave no trace. And especially after COVID, um, people didn't know how to respect nature in the outdoors. And there was a lot of, you know, just garbage behind and people not knowing where to use the bathroom and how to even use bathrooms outdoors and toilet paper and just all that awful stuff. So I do think going to check out the Leave No Trace Canada website is hugely important. Tell people to check weather forecasts, especially if you're doing mountain hikes. And I lived in Colorado for 10 years, so I'm hyper, hyper aware of lightning storms and <clears throat> being safe when it comes to those type of storms. 10 essentials, the trail reports. So Banff National Park and 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 same would be true in Quebec and Ontario. Ontario parks, most of them have a, an up-to-date trail report of what what is the status of the trail. Has it been closed? Are there is there bear activity? Is it muddy? Is it wet? Has, is there construction? I always tell people to go and check trail reports before they go. And then if there is not a trail report, what I personally do is I go to all trails. I don't look at the description because I don't like all trails descriptions, but I go to see when somebody was last on the trail. And I, I check through that and see what the conditions are. So that's what I end up doing. And that way I know if I'm going out there, it's safe. And I actually don't tell people to do that in the blog because I don't want to send them to all trails. But that's personally what I what I do, right? So, you know, it's a tough go. But those, those are probably the, the big five ones, just, just going out there and being safe. And, oh, key, telling someone where you're going so that we don't have another 127 hours movie being made. I was just talking to a friend about that movie too. Um, something, you know, I think technology is so great. It, the, like I, my Garmin, 
I'm able, like people are able to track me through my Garmin, you know, now with, you know, find your phone on your, on your, um, on your phones as well. There's, or like an actual, you know, if you, if you have a full on GPS or a Garmin, a separate that you can use, there's so many different options, and especially as like, um, if I love hiking alone, but as a single female, right. That, that is, <laughs> I love, it can be, you can have very scary moments in the wilderness when you're alone. And for me, it's not about animals. It's about other humans and it's about men, actually. Completely, completely, 100% agree. And I have done so many hikes and backpacking trips alone, too. That is the only thing. I'm not afraid. I I am afraid of bears. True, true. Yes, yes. But I am way more, way, way, way more conscious of who are the bad guys in the woods. That is absolutely huge, is thinking about your safety on the trail as a female, as a female. However, I want to go back to the whole GPS thing. And I want to tell you how many times my husband and I have been out on a trail, especially ones that aren't mainstream trails. And people are literally, if you could see me now, like they're they're following the little dot on their GPS or on their phone. They have no bloody clue where they're going in the greater scheme of things. So they don't know how to read a map. They don't know if they're going east, west, north, south. They don't even know that the sun sets in the west or that it rises in the east. Like those people scare me because they think they know what they're doing by following a dot on the on the map, but they don't actually know what they're doing. And they get themselves into trouble if things go wrong, like all trails. Sorry, all trails. But you actually have had some really bad information. And there have been a lot of rescues because of that, because people are following their GPS coordinates and they're not thinking. And it's like you still have to think when you're outside. I think that is if I had to if I had one thing to get across, it's like use some common sense and think. Think about where you are and learn those skills, learn some navigation skills. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Let's take this outside now has a newsletter. Keep up to date with outdoor news, events, and great discount codes and deals from our partners. Sign up today at letstakethisoutside.ca. Lee, I have to admit, when it comes to GPS, I'm very reliant when I'm in my car on my GPS. <laughs> but I've been lucky enough to been hiking long enough that I've been able I, I'm able to read maps. I, you know, I may not know exactly what time it is when it comes to the sun in the sky, but, you know, I always, 
And if there's not an actual national park map that I have, I try to print out maps as well and kind of know where I am. That's something that I've always kind of stuck with because you never know. And when I'm speaking of GPS, I thinking I'm thinking of uh, like find your location just in case there's some kind of emergency, right? I completely agree that you need to be able to do that, but people need to mix the two. Technology is fantastic. It is amazing. But you just have to use that brain that we've all been given as well as technology. That's that's my big thing. Don't you also think we all, and, and maybe if people live in the city or don't spend a lot of time in nature, I'm not sure. But I like I find I have a, almost a bit of a natural directional sense. And I've never truly been lost in the woods before. Um, maybe I haven't ventured far enough to really, <laughs> to really be lost before. No, I, I haven't. I haven't either. So, yeah. I wonder if it's preparedness, but I also wonder if there's a human sense that if we really tap into, we're able to navigate. Do you think there's something in, in that? Maybe awareness. Um, and one example, I was on the hiking the Cumbria Way with a girlfriend and we had bad maps. They weren't great and they weren't that detailed. But all of a sudden, I felt the wind change in the direction that we were hiking. And it wasn't in our face anymore. It was suddenly at our back. And I was like, hmm, this doesn't feel right. And she's going, what the heck? Like, what are you so worried about? You know, we're on a trail. It's all good. It's like, oh, this is just not feeling right. And I was right. I was right. Like, it was just, it was a subtle thing. And I think that's experience that you don't expect you know, not that wind, cha- wind can, direction can change all the time, but when it's been a constant and, and you're having trouble with directions, that was one tool in my, in my tool case that I used to know that I was in the wrong spot. And I think that it's experience. Like the more you're out there, the more you have a sense of timing and where you should be at a certain hour and how high this, the sun is, even if you don't know the exact time, you still have that sense. Don't you think? I, I, I think so as well. I think the more time you spend in nature, as with anything, the more time you spend doing it, you get a better natural sense of it. I want to talk about the 10 essentials, but I want to I want to ask you this question, but I want to give you an example first. It took me several years to figure out that, you know, wearing cotton is not a great layering option and that merino wool, although expensive, can be your best friend <laughs> in nature. What are some things that you have learned through experience that you preach now when it comes to the outdoors? hate to be a preacher. Uh, let me think. <laughs> You're the person to, you have the, you have a lot of, ex- you, you said old <laughs> fart, I think. I don't know what you, what you called yourself, but uh, you have experience and that's I why do. I'm asking you. And I still make mistakes um, or I still just, you know, at the beginning of the hiking season, for instance, or the snowshoeing season or the skiing season, when you haven't been out on a regular basis, it, it's kind of like a reboot with your knapsack. And going through and having your summer knapsack ready and your winter knapsack ready or backpack with what you need. And we went on a hike a weekend or 10 days ago, and it was really, really hot, way hotter than we thought it was going to be. And there was a little bit of snow and we had two dogs with us. So we brought three liters of water because neither of us are big water drinkers. And I was like, oh, my God, we have run out of water. (laughs) And... You know, all of my blogs, make sure you have a water filter, have aqua water purification tablets, do something so that you can have safe drinking water. Do you think I had any of that stuff with me? No. But what it is, it's that reminder at the start of the hiking season when I'm going out on a much longer hike. If it's just an hour's hike, it's like big deal. Is really to go through and do I have that first aid kit in my pack? 
do I actually have enough water or, or have I thrown in those water purification tablets? Do I have extra bars? Like I am hyper aware of that kind of thing and very aware of having warm clothes in the mountain. That's the one thing I always do. And it doesn't have to be the mountains. It just, I think of how many times that weather has changed so quickly and you have sudden, you can be in Quebec, you can be in Ontario, you can be anywhere. And suddenly you need that down coat because it's just rained and you're freezing and you're close to hypothermic. So based on all my mistakes over the years, I would say I have learned at the beginning of the season to take the time, make sure everything's in there and it's always in there so that you don't, you unpack your food and your water, but everything else is still in that pack. And that way you don't forget stuff. Constant mistakes for me. I just had one a couple of weeks ago, went hiking and the temperature like rose really quickly here in Ottawa and it was muggy. It had just rained a bunch the day before. Totally forgot bug spray. I was like, my ankles covered in black fly bites. So I was like, oh yeah, okay. I just have to keep it in my car. I just have to keep it in my trunk. I have to keep it in my bag. I'm like such an idiot. It's so true though, right? And same like sunscreen, putting it in the car before you go away. So even if you don't have it in your pack, it's in the car so you don't don't mess up on that one and bug spray i guess if we were more in touch with nature we would know which tree that we could i forget which tree it's a poplar or an aspen i think and the white there's a white film on it and you can use that as um, bug spray you put it all over you or is it suntan lotion that's the question (laughs) so don't rely on me for that (laughs) but you know just if, if we did if we did tune in a little bit more to what we could and couldn't use, we'd probably all do a lot better in the woods. Could you explain the 10 essentials? Can we just go through the 10 essentials very quickly? Let's hope I can remember them here. (laughs) I'm really putting you on the spot, Lee. I'm really putting you on the spot here. Okay. So, um, and, and they say that they've changed a bit over time, but they're sort of the basics. So extra food for one day. So I just tell people to bring a whole bunch of extra bars because you want something lightweight and extra water (laughs) where I went wrong. And I think where a lot of people go wrong on hot days or a means to purify your water, extra clothing so that you have the warm socks, the, the whatever kind of conditions you're going to run into rain gear. I mean, some parts of the world that doesn't matter, but in our, in our world, you need rain gear. So I do always pack rain pants and a raincoat, a flashlight, and people might use their phones, but you're going to use your battery really fast. So don't rely on your phone and bring bring a headlamp and bring a good one, especially if it's a long trip, because some of them just are pretty useless if you had to make your way out. Um, a map, like an MAP or a GPS. <laughs> so one or, the, one or the other and and know how to use it, I, I would say, is the other thing. First aid kit doesn't have to be ridiculous, but at least have a few things. And it's not just for you. It's for the people you run into on the trail. But if you have any medications, make sure those are included. Sun protection, big one right there. And also for the lips, especially in the mountains where you can burn yourself to a crisp in no time flat. And what else? Oh, one of them is a bivy sack. So if you had to spend the night outdoors, and a bivy sack could be something as as simple as a green garbage bag, so that at least you're in something that is waterproof. And I don't actually take, like I used to carry a a true bivy sack. And now I've got a mat that I use for sitting on. So as long as you can get off the ground, right, you need to save some body warmth. So that would be another one. A means of starting a fire. So fire starter, matches, lighter, that kind of thing. And what else? How many have I got? I actually wasn't counting. (laughs) Good. (laughs) 
bonus. <laughs> tenish. That's the tenish tenish. tenish essentials, right? It's like tenish. Yeah. Okay. I'm just saying, I'm just looking over. Oh, a, like a, something like a Swiss Army knife. Just a knife if you have, if you need it, like to kill your grizzly bear, right? <laughs> right. Or you just use your husband. One or the other. <laughs> One or the other. Just push your husband over. It's fine. <laughs> I, yeah, I didn't mean that in a way of like your husband would protect you. I just meant like, you know, he just <laughs> sacrifice. Okay. Um, if someone is new, I'm sorry, Lee. If someone is new to adventuring or exploring nature, where should they start? Should they start small in their own backyard, in their own, you know, in their own trails before heading off to bear country in Kananaskis, for example? You know, what I would do is suggest people try and join a group or a tour. You can learn so much on one of those outings. And so, for instance, in Calgary, as you would find in many of the large centers, there's a Calgary Outdoor Center, and they offer so many courses. And so you don't have to be aligned with anybody. You don't have to know anybody because so many people are single and they still want to get outside. So I think that is a wonderful way to start. And with a little bit of luck, you might actually meet someone that you can go and do at least a few hikes with or bike rides or just do some outings. So that's the easiest way to go. Or find a friend who knows what they're doing. Make a friend who knows what they're doing. You're an author. You have written a couple of books, but one is 200 Nature Hotspots in Alberta. What goes into writing a a book like that? Was it one of those, I'm going to start writing a book and I'm going to look at 200 places or you're like, let me look back at the 200 places I've been. Like, where do you start with a book like that? Well, Firefly Publishing worked out, uh, reached out to me about that particular book and I didn't want to write the whole book. So that's when I enlisted my friend, Debbie Olson, who's the co-author. And so the two of us sat down and we looked, there were already a book in Ontario. I think it's 125 nature hotspots in Ontario. It's like, we want to best them. <laughs> so I'm sure there's more or not at all. <laughs> so we, we got on the phone and we talked it through. And then we also talked to Alberta Parks and we talked to the Nature Conservancy of Canada. And we talked to a couple of other conservation areas um, and asked what they thought were prime nature hotspots in Alberta. So it wasn't, it was like, we definitely had our list that we liked. Um, and then we took it from there. And then I have to admit when it came, because our first book was 125 nature hotspots and the second was 200. So then it's like, hmm, I think hiking for food is a good it's a good thing to do because you're still out in nature. So that's why we threw in the hiking and food section because there's all these tea houses in, in the Rockies. And those are, it's like, you know, you're still out in nature, but it gives you a destination to go to. So it was a process and it was a long process. And then we had huge spreadsheets and then we would go, hmm, what do you think about this? No, let's nix this because this is too hard to get to. Or or we've gone and I was like, hmm, it wasn't so good. So a long process. You've traveled the world a thousand times over, and I'm going to put words in your mouth, but uh, why is Canada so special? <laughs> and why? Uh, where are some of your favorite places in our country? I was going to say your favorite, but I highly doubt you have one favorite. You know, every time I leave our country and then I come back, I am so thankful. You know, you put the politics aside, I am thankful mostly for the sense of space I feel in Canada, even in Calgary. I was just in Arizona, and... I can feel the press of humanity in Arizona. I look to where, where are the big blocks of space of natural areas where there are no people. And that's what I'm after. And that's why I am drawn to places like I love the Yukon. I love Northern Ontario where 
you can get lost in those lakes up there. Or you can, there are just, there aren't people around and not everyone is comfortable with the lack of people, but I love it when I'm in that area with no people. So I feel particularly lucky in Canada with the number of lakes we have, the mountain ranges, how beautiful they are and how accessible they are and how safe they are to get to. Just our wide open spaces, the infrastructure is good. We are, we are completely blessed. And where, I know you just mentioned Northern Ontario and Yukon, but where are some of your favorite places in our country? West coast of Vancouver Island is one of my very favorite places for not hiking because it's miserable hiking, but it's beautiful. But for kayaking, I absolutely love sea kayaking there because of all the beautiful white sand beaches. And sometimes you can get to places where you don't see another soul. And there's usually a lot of wildlife around. So that is um, always in the top. In the mountains, anywhere in the, like I never will say no to a, a hike in the Rocky Mountains because I feel very in tune to, I just feel alive, I guess, when I'm in the mountains. And it doesn't have to be the Rockies. I can think of in the Chitrac Mountains in Quebec, I climbed Le Mont, Le Mont Albert by myself. And it was a phenomenal, phenomenal experience. It's this massive mountain. And it's just like, this is amazing. I'm just lucky to be here. I think Newfoundland is absolutely incredible and part of it's the people a good part of it's the people if people have never um traveled there but the landscape there is so compelling and i think the rock and the sort of the beauty of the place i did the east coast trail last year in newfoundland and it really spoke to me and the fact that there was this trail along the atlantic ocean and but you'd hardly see anybody was absolutely incredible so those are just a few just a few and what's on your bucket list to visit, whether it's in Canada or across the world? Where do you still want to go? Well, I'm knocking a few of them off this summer um, that got derailed because of COVID. We are going to hike in the Lofoten Islands in Norway. And then we are somehow, to be determined, um, maybe hitchhiking, getting to Sweden and doing the Kunsleden Trail, backpacking. Uh, it's the Kunsleden Trail above the Arctic Circle in Sweden. So those have been on my list for quite some time. We just came back from biking the Great Allegheny Passage and the canal, and or it's called the CNO Canal Towpath. So it's from Pittsburgh to Washington, D.C. Wow, that's so cool. And we did it self-supported um, over the course of a week. And it's like, oh, I forgot how much I love doing self-supported bike rides. So I would like to do more of those. Um, and that could be anywhere that... This one was really nice because it was mostly a car-free experience. So I will probably look to some of the rail trails in the States to do those, just because you don't have to think about, um, life is just easy on a bike. You know, you get up, you ride your bike, you find a and b and do it again the next day. I was going to say when it comes to, you know, you see you're, you, love, you love the water, you love hiking, you love biking. Um, is there anything else I'm missing? Is there any other kind of adventures that, that you really like? Paddling. I really love paddling. This summer, we're going to northwestern Ontario, and we're paddling in Woodland Caribou Provincial Park. And uh, it's quite remote. I suspect we'll see a few people, but not very many. I feel so at peace, not when I'm paddling, but once I'm at the campsite, it's my one of my best ways to relax. Paddling, I have had some of my near-death experiences, just in crazy waters, in a kayak, when we shouldn't have been out there. But it's also just some of the most memorable memorable, um, 
way to spend time with my husband, sometimes my dog, if we can bring the dog, just the, you know, the two of us and a dog. Simple living. And it's the simplicity of living with the canoe. That's what I love. Lee, I, uh, you know, I, I podcast and you blog, but um, I hope that my life looks like yours. <laughs> and my life did not look like this 12 years ago. And it's been, it's really been a process. And you're the director, right? So you have to, to decide where you want to go with it and then jump at opportunities. And people say, oh, you travel a lot. But I, you know, I travel locally a lot and I do travel overseas, though I haven't been in years. So you just, you have to decide what's important and make the time for it because life is short and stuff happens. And I'm seeing that with friends. So go for it. Lee McAdam, thank you for joining me. This has been, uh, this has been super fun. <laughs> thank you for having me too. Thanks for listening. For more Let's Take This Outside, go to letstakethisoutside.ca. Hi, this is Candace Sampson, the voice behind What She Said. My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to whatshesaidtalk.com. What She Said can also be heard on blasttheradio.com, Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's blasttheradio.com. It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter. Produced and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.